From the beautiful city of Hollywood, we bring you Film Forward, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival. Hey, hey, welcome to Film Forward, everybody, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival. And I'm thrilled for our guest today. She is the director and producer of the beautiful and immersive film, Bitter Brush, Emily Madavian. We'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. And congratulations on this wonderful, wonderful film. For those who don't know about it, tell the audience a little bit about the film. Well, so Bitter Brush is a documentary about two women, Holland and Coley, who are spending a long summer season working together as range riders in the mountains of Idaho. And it's about their friendship and the sort of future life choices that they're wrestling with over that summer. How did you come to meet Holland and Coley? And what about them as people motivated you to want to document this year of their lives? I was actually living in rural Idaho in a cabin off grid. And so I met Holland at my neighbor's house for dinner. Um, so the impulse was a mixture of a desire to make something closer to home, mm-hmm. to make something where I could engage with the idea of how we deal with land and landscapes and films. And then also just a desire to work with women. And, you know, Holland was so obviously this witty, amazing, you know, person. And it was just a seed that was planted after I met her that I then followed up on and it eventually grew into this. That's amazing. We met at a barbecue. (laughs) The the rest is history. (laughs) Uh, So fun. And obviously through the film, you know, you and, and us, the audience, we get to know Holland and Kali very well. But there's all these other lives that kind of come in and insert themselves into the story that I was really taken aback by. And, you know, like I thought about Marilyn the horse multiple times since watching the film. Yeah. And then there's also, you know, that skinny cow that they're helping get over the hill. And, and of course, all the dogs are kind of characters in themselves. Talk to us just about like being an observer of that in real time. And did that kind of, as you were filming that, did that inform like your approach or change your approach in the edit? Yeah. You know, I mean, living out there and talking to them in advance a fair amount, I was prepared for the fact that the animals were a really important part of the story. And I wanted to get the working dogs in there. I wanted to see, you know, the role of the horses in all of this. but. Obviously, there are these things that happen that you don't have control over, like the discovery of this sixth cow in the mountains. Mm -hmm. And I think seeing the way that they improvise in their work, if you will, you know, they're so highly skilled, but there's this huge range of things that they can encounter that they then just have to deal with on the fly. And they do it with, you know, an interesting mixture of like incredible toughness work that's almost brutal. And then these sort of surprising moments of real tenderness. Mm-hmm. And I find myself feeling like I should be really careful in, in characterizing them. You know, I don't want to make, turn them into figures that are overly soft, but then I also think that that care they have, is just something really remarkable. Absolutely. I mean, I guess like they encounter those changes with Grace is like the best word I could come up with. They handle their business. They never seem to get too stressed out. They just champion through. 
you know, like even in the beginning of the film, they talk about like, this sounds like a good plan. It's always good when you like the plan at the beginning. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. they're, very, they're very aware that, it, that something's going to happen, you know, plans yeah. change as they do it in most lines of work. Yeah. I mean, it could be a description of documentary film too. It's like, well, <laughs> I've done, I've got my shot list, my scene list. I've got all my ideas, big grand plans. Good thing I like it at the start. Let's see what we actually get. <laughs> totally. Absolutely. Now, I think I read this. When you started production, you were pregnant. Is that right? Yeah, I was I was eight months pregnant. Holy jeez. We were filming. Well, I was seven months at the first month of filming. I was eight months the next month of filming. Then I gave birth. And then I had a tiny little baby at home <laughs> doing the rest of the filming. I mean, documentary filmmaking in itself is is can be physically demanding, but you know, working out in rural conditions and I imagine a lot of physically demanding stuff. What was it like for you as a filmmaker working pregnant and climbing these mountains and whatnot? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's certainly, I'm not going to claim it's like, gee, that was comfortable. Um, <laughs> but I also think like, you know, part of what I'm fascinated by is that is the way that, you know, we're these human beings out in this land, whether our land is like the urban city, you know, or whether it's this, you know, we're still beings that have to contend every day with like the physical reality of our lives. So like to some extent it put me in contact with what they were doing, you know, because Mm. they have this job that's very transparently dealing with the physical world and like contending with that. And then of course it, it was something that connected me with them, with those questions about being a woman who works and like, how do you balance these, um, you know, these sort of ambitions that you have to get your work done with the like very real physical realities of, you know, of, of carrying a child. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. When you're out there, I mean, obviously there's so many beautiful landscapes and scenic images in the film. And one that was really just breathtaking is the snow sequence towards the end of the film, which just looks Unreal. Yeah. If you can take us kind of behind the scenes of the shooting process on that day and yeah. what it was like capturing that. From the start, I conceived of the film as like bounded by the snows, so to speak, that, you know, out there, the last snows come in June and the first snows come in September. And, you know, July and August might even have a little snow. They certainly have hail usually. So it's a place that, you know, has a pretty short summer season. And I I wanted to mark that by seeing those things. So I had scheduled my DP to be out there to film with me from horseback on a day that had a forecast for snow. (laughs) Right, right. And I thought it would be the first snow, you know. And I was, you know, I was kind of had talked him through it. We had been practicing shooting from horseback. That was one challenge that we were, were navigating in this film is that a lot of the film was shot from horseback. And then, you know, this would add to it snow. We woke up in the morning and suddenly my snow forecast had gone down to 10% chance of snow, which out there is like that. Oh man, it means I, I lost my big idea. Right. So we went and I told the DP, you know, get as much as you can. So at least we see little tiny flakes, you know, maybe that's all we'll get. It's just little tiny flakes on her hat. And we strapped the monitor to his chest, got him up on the horse. He had two pairs of gloves on. He was like toasty warm. <laughs> He's got the camera, just following him along. He's doing his best to get, you know, what would then just be a beautiful scene of riding in the kind of foggy flurries. And then whiteout blizzard blows in. And, <laughs> and I was like, the cinema gods smiled on me. Derek is frozen. I mean, Derek is such a trooper. He just, 
you know, he knew this is what I wanted. So he was like, he was filming, you know, but right. when he was done, I had to warm him up. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I owed him that. <laughs> well, I'm, uh, it was worth it. I'll say that because it is just mind boggling to look at. And so, so lovely. You know, I want to also talk about the music, Greg Anderson and Elizabeth Joy Rowe doing keyboard works of Bach. Such a beautiful choice. What took y'all in that direction for the music for the film? This is one of those hand of the director, right? I, I'm not really a believer in the idea that the audience needs to think this is all fly on the wall. I want to show Holland and Coley in a certain light. That is how I see them. And for me, it was like this film is it's got a very formal structure. You know, it's one season. It's really concerned with time and all those kinds of things. It's the two women that are at the heart of it have like a deep connection to their feeling of spirituality and purpose and a real kind of sensitivity and richness and openness to life. And then also, you know, I think, you know, maybe the image of the cowgirl, the stereotype of that or whatever we have in our heads doesn't quite lend the dignity to, to them and to the work that I wanted. So I was like, I don't want to go for cowgirl music, whatever that would be. I want to go, I want to go for Bach. Because Bach says mm-hmm. dignity, Bach says spirituality, Bach says like formality. It, it kind of, for me, it matched the film and what I wanted to say, you know. But uh, certainly when I first started saying that this is what I wanted to do, it wasn't initially a popular choice. But I think in the end, you know, um, enough people have come around. <laughs> and I, I should say, Anderson and Rowe were my dream piano duo. It was one of those, you know, you sort of be like, oh, what if I could get kind of things? And I'm also a musician. My mom's a pianist. And so I knew who they were. I grew up with this kind of music around and I just was completely floored when they said yes. That's awesome. I think it was such a amazing choice. It just like adds this level of uh, sophistication is the right word, but there's like a lot of sophistication in in what Holland and Collie are doing. You know, it's like very, very particular. They're pros, pros and you know, they're having fun. They're like enjoying being together, but there is like a real expertise to what is going on. And and I think the music kind of like coincides with that beautifully. Thank you. Yeah. I'm so glad to hear you put it that way. One of the other things I want to talk about is, I guess it was like surprising to me when I saw the trailer, the film, and I read the synopsis. I was not expecting... Both characters felt very relatable to me, which I was not expecting Uh, (laughs) (laughs) because, you know, like, uh, I mean, obviously I can't do what they do. I don't have their skills or even know how to acquire the skills that they have. But as different as their worlds are to probably most, their internal and external conflict, I guess, was just felt very similar and relatable. They're basically they're just their pursuit of happiness yeah and, and stability and and then the pain and fun that kind of comes along with it on your way there yeah i mean that's something i don't i mean i joke like maybe there's somebody out there who doesn't go through that but i feel like we all go through those moments of like oh how do i you know how do i figure out life <laughs> like coley says at one point like life's a bugger how mm-hmm. do i how do i make this work for myself I, I think that those are like very fundamental kind of struggles that we go through in you know various stages of adulthood and particularly nowadays, a lot of us do work kind of freelance or work in gigs and, and it just complicates that. It makes it a lot harder to find and pursue your purpose. Yeah, absolutely. And that element of the film was was fascinating. It's something that I was not expecting. It was really well done. Were Holland and Kali like immediately receptive to 
the camera where they were, they're both, they're both very charismatic. Did they start like that day one or did they kind of have to warm up a little bit? Um, they're a little different in that. I mean, just as they're different people you see in the film, you know, Holland's like kind of the jokester, you know, um, she was more aware of the camera being there. I also though had met her earlier and I was able to do more test shooting with her. Coley is, uh, basically, I, I don't know how to describe it other than basically she's complete natural. She's one of those people who just, she does forget the cameras there. She knows it's there, right? Because she, she's also making conscious choices about what she does in front of the camera and what she shares. She seems to be one of those rare people who's relatively unaffected by turning a lens on her, which is an incredible gift when you're a documentary filmmaker, you know, the majority of people aren't like that. So um, when you find someone like that, it really is a, a real gift. Yeah, they're both just like magnetic on the camera. It's really amazing to watch. And I could have watched another hour and a half of them just <laughs> doing their thing, honestly. So uh, I think, I mean, I think that for them to hear that, like to hear from somebody who's like coming from totally a different place in the country, who doesn't know anything about their work, I think that would mean a lot. Yeah, I'll bet. <laughs> My final question for you is, you went through a lot of life change while making the film also. Uh, you had a baby. Both of them had major life changes while making the film. I guess, what is your your biggest takeaway from the project as a whole for you personally, now that it's done, you're releasing it in the theater? Mm. What's the takeaway for Emily now that it's all said and done? I think the takeaway for me has been that I realized through this process that I'm really interested in the ways that we engage with the world, with land, you know, like as human beings on the planet, you know, these kinds of fundamental questions about what does it mean to engage with the material world in a way that's like ethical or to gain a sense of meaning and purpose from the way that we engage with the world outside ourselves. I guess I didn't go into it realizing I knew that living out there off the grid had had changed me in certain ways, but I don't think I realized that that was sort of fundamental and permanent, you know? <laughs> and now I'm, you know, I find myself like I live in a city again and I have, a, I work at a university, but I find myself like unable to fully shake that kind of understanding and being really interested in continuing to play with that in film. Well, we're excited to see you play with it again because you executed it so masterfully. That's really um, Congratulations again. Everybody at home, check out this incredible film. Bitter Brush is now playing in select theaters, including in New York City at the IFC Center 5 and in Los Angeles at the Lemley NoHo 7. And it will also be available on demand on June 24th. More info can be found at www.magpictures.com forward slash bitterbrush forward slash home. Let us know what you think. And Emily, I just want to thank you so much again for taking the time out to do this. Really, really congratulations on an, an amazing picture. Thank you so much for having me on here and for engaging with the film so deeply and so sincerely. That's your work, sister. That's all your work. So. <laughs> <laughs> thank you all my friends at home listening to Film Forward, and we'll catch you next time. Our recording engineer and mixer is Anselm Kennedy. The podcast is produced by Anselm, Sonia Maru, and yours truly. Thanks for joining us on Film Forward, and you'll hear us next time. <laughs>